Hey everyone, welcome back to the online ministry of Grace Baptist Church. Today we're continuing our series called Understanding the Book of Revelation. Revelation teaches that there's a blessing in reading and responding to its message. But for many, the book is either filled with codes or confusion. And we miss Revelation's own focus on Jesus and his call to faithfulness as a result. Today we're tackling the vision of the seven trumpets. I believe they give a narrative for making sense of life in the last days. And I think we need one today more than ever. Are you a fan of apocalyptic end of the world stories? Even if you're not, you must have noticed how fascinated our society is with them, right? Series like The Walking Dead or movies like Resident Evil picture a battle with zombies. Movies like A Quiet Place and The Tomorrow War see a showdown with aliens. And the more recent Don't Look Up sees life as we know it ended by an approaching comet combined with fake news, the greed of big tech, shallow politicians, and a denial of science. The appeal of these stories is strong in our culture because we need stories to help us make sense of the things that we fear. Apocalyptic stories help us to understand life in the last days and how we can survive when everything's falling apart. I'm convinced that that's exactly what the seven trumpets of Revelation are intended to give us. Before we get to them, let me give you some context for where we are in the book of Revelation. There are visions of seven seals, seven trumpets, and seven bowls that make up the heart of the central section. Each of those cycles of seven start with descriptions of destruction on earth and end with final judgment. With the seals and the trumpets, there's a group of four, followed by a group of two, then a break, and finally the final seal or trumpet in the vision. That seems to be telling us to read them together and see them as describing the last days from different perspectives. The seals symbolize the unfolding of God's plan, particularly as it relates to his followers. With the trumpets, the focus shifts to those who've rejected Jesus. Here, the devastations of the last days aren't merely, merely a reality of God's plan, but they function as warnings and judgments. Let's get into the vision itself. We'll start with the first four trumpets in Revelation 8, verses 6 to 12. If you don't have a Bible, click on the link for today's passage in the description below. Revelation 8, starting at verse 6. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet, and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth. And a third of the earth was burned up, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The second angel blew his trumpet, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on, a, and on the springs of water. The name of the storm is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and made many people died from the water because it had been made bitter. The fourth angel blew his trumpet and a third of the sun was struck and a third of the moon and a third of the stars so that a third of their light might be darkened and a third of the day might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. This is the word of God. 
Now, the first four trumpets warn of cat catastrophes like the plagues of Egypt. We're actually given two stories as lenses through which to understand the devastation that we see in the last days. There are trumpets that point to Jericho and plagues that point to Egypt. When you see the seven, seven angels lined up to blow their trumpets in verse 6, we're supposed to remember another time when people were blowing trumpets. In Joshua chapter 6, the people of God reached Jericho, a city on the edge of the promised land. They march around the walls for six days, and on the seventh day, seven priests blow their trumpets. And as the children's song goes, the walls came tumbling down. By describing the events of the last days as trumpets, we're supposed to remember Jericho and understand that God is warning those who haven't turned to him because trumpets always end in judgment. When we get to chapter 9, verse 20, though, the devastations of the trumpets are called plagues. That language is deliberate and is supposed to help us to remember the exodus from Egypt. In fact, the catastrophes that the trumpets unleash are described in words patterned after the plagues that God brought about through Moses. And so like the plagues in Egypt, the devastations of the last days are God's means of showing his power over the things that people worship. And they remind his people that they end in our deliverance. Each plague brings us closer to the promised land. That was the big picture. <laughs> now let's look at the details. In verse 7, the first angel blows his trumpet, and hail and fire mixed with blood are thrown to the earth. It's a terrifying scene, and it's not immediately clear what it's describing until you look at Exodus 9, verse 24. There it says, There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. Here, it seems more obvious that the flashing fire is describing lightning. But it's a cataclysmic storm nonetheless. The result of this first trumpet is that a third of the earth is burned up. We're to picture wildfires tearing through huge tracts of land. Then with the second trumpet in verse 8, what looks like a burning volcano tumbles into the sea. The eruption of Mount Vesuvius, which buried the coastal city of Pompeii with lava in 79 AD, may have been in John's mind when he saw this vision. But the result is odd. According to verse 9, a third of the sea turns into blood, a third of the living creatures die, and a third of the ships are destroyed. Sea turning to blood is another direct reference to the Exodus, where Moses struck the water of the Nile and it turned to blood. The judgments that John sees are fully under God's control, but they're not brought about by a prophet and his staff. He is carrying out his plan directly. When you get to the third trumpet, it does to springs and rivers what the second trumpet did to the seas. It seems to be describing some kind of meteor falling from the sky, but it's hard to imagine any event that could simultaneously affect a third of the world's rivers and springs. If you'll notice, though, a third is mentioned 15 times in the seven trumpets. Either that's just a really big coincidence, or these are big round numbers for a sizable disaster, but not a complete one. And there's progression. So with the seals affected a quarter of the earth, the trumpets affect a third, and then the bulls, as we'll see, wreak havoc on it all. 
Because this is a vision, there's no reason we need to understand this as a single event. Just as the four horsemen of the apocalypse described trials and suffering throughout the last days, it's just as likely that the trumpets are doing the same thing here. The fourth trumpet brings darkness. Now, it's hard to understand exactly what's happening here with a third of the sun, moon, and stars being struck to bring darkness. But again, the allusion to the Exodus plagues is clear. In Exodus 10, 21, God told Moses to stretch out his hand toward heaven that there may be darkness over the land of Egypt, a darkness to be felt. The plagues on Pharaoh were a systematic confrontation with his gods, the things he put his trust in. They proved that the God of Moses was the true God, and they invited the Egyptians to trust in him. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 5, after speaking of the plagues he will show Pharaoh, God says, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch, stretch out my hand against Egypt. Here's what I take away from the first four trumpets. Since Jesus was resurrected, we've been living in the last days. In fact, what John calls the last hour. And for the last 2,000 years, God's angels have been marching around Jericho, blowing their trumpets. Each devastation he's brought to the earth, the seas and the sky, is intended to show he has power over it all. He's confronting people who worship this world and destroying what they worship. But it's to prove that he's the one we're supposed to worship. When you see the catastrophes of our world as being like the plagues of Egypt and the trumpets of Jericho, you can hear God's warning and stand in awe at God's power. And you know the Exodus ends in deliverance for God's people. You know that Jericho ends with the people of God possessing the promised land. So it gives you strength to hold on and you feel the urgency to make sure that people hear the warning of the trumpets. Now, as we get to the fifth and the sixth trumpet, we turn to warnings of torment and death for those hardened to God and his truth. The first four trumpets harm the earth and what, will, and what people worship. The next two trumpets harm people directly. These two trumpets warn of torment and death for those hardened to God. I'll read chapter 9, verses 1 to 6. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were not allowed to torment them, or they were, they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. Then I'll read verses 13 to 15. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill 
a third of mankind. The fifth trumpet unleashes demons that come like a swarm of locusts. We know that they're demons because it says in verse 1 that they come from the bottomless pit. They're compared to locusts, but while real locusts harm vegetation and leave people alone, these locusts harm people and leave the vegetation alone. According to verse 4, the only people who need to fear them are those who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. We saw this last time, but in Revelation, you either have the mark of God or the mark of the beast. It's not a physical ID, but a spiritual sign of your allegiance. The people who have given their loyalty to the true God are preserved, but the others are left at the, at the mercy of these judgments. Some of John's readers were fearing the threat of death for their faith and wondering what the point of faith in God was. Here they learn that life without God can actually be worse than death. In verse 6, people experience such torment that it says, they will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. I think that God gives this vision because too often we envy those who have more. We just look at people's outward circumstances and assume there's no value to faith in Jesus. But without Christ, people are left vulnerable to spiritual and emotional torment. Christians and non-Christians, they both face, face trials. They both go through difficulties and deal with loss and pain. But for the Christian, God promises to use each trial for their good. The things we suffer train us and shape us and mature us. Without God, the same trial is a plague. It's an assault on your self-sufficiency and your independence from God. Without Jesus, the same suffering becomes a trumpet. It's a warning of judgment. And so the emotional and spiritual burden is so much heavier. As we hear the sixth trumpet, an army of demons kill a third of humanity. Even such a huge number is still a warning. The final trumpet hasn't sounded. God is making every last effort to pursue people's faith. But verse 20 warns, the rest of mankind who are not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. The story of Jericho reminds us that there were some like Rahab who came to faith and were rescued even as the trumpets were sounding. And the account of the Exodus teaches us that there were Egyptians who put their trust in God and joined the Israelites when they set out for the promised land. But the majority remained stubborn in their refusal to turn to God. We need that message and that reminder because when people reject the gospel and mock the God of the Bible, it can shape our own grip on the truth. We wonder whether we're the ones who got it wrong. Here, after all that God has done to convince people, their hearts are still hard toward them. When we learn to see the last days through the lens of the Exodus and the battle of Jericho, we're prepared for that. We still seek out the Rahabs of the world, but we're not under an illusion that everyone will believe. The seventh trumpet announces God's rule and his wrath. It takes us into the promised land at the very end of time. The seventh trumpet announces God's rule and his wrath. After a break between the sixth and the seventh trumpets that we'll return to next week, chapter 11, verse 15 says this, then the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, 
The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God, uh, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. After hundreds of years of Christians praying those words of Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, the day has finally arrived. When you read verse 17, it first looks like something's missing. They're praying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. Up until this point, God has been described as him who was and who is and is to come. But the point of verse 17 is, he has come. All we've waited for has reached its fulfillment. And so in verse 18, it says, the nations raged, but your wrath came and the time for the dead to be judged and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and for those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. For hundreds of years, people have been coming up with stories to make sense of the world. We need a way of interpreting what we see around us. And that need will only grow as the end draws near. The problem is most of those stories are just fairy tales. Most of those stories assume that we're the heroes and heaven is on earth. But God keeps confronting that story. He keeps calling us to trust in Jesus as our hero and to realize this world isn't our home. Even Christians have a way of resisting that message. So when the next earthquake hits or the tsunami makes, it, makes the news, when the wildfires rage and the hurricanes leave more destruction in their path, when the stats are released about the numbers of people dying from murder, addiction, and abuse, remember the story that God has given you to interpret the last days through. Those who cling to their fairy tales will shake their fists at God and question why things are the way they are. But when you remember Jericho, you hear God's trumpets all over the news. You hear God's warnings in the circumstances of life. You realize the time is short. And so you witness to Rahab. You search for those who are willing to hear, who are open to good news. When you remember Egypt, you see God's plagues un, un, in the unfolding of world events. You realize how much like Pharaoh we all are. We see our own stubbornness in trying to build our own kingdoms and treat this world like paradise. Each plague loosens our grip on the gods of this world, on the things that we all chase after. And it reminds us that God is the only one who's truly in control. And God is leading his people into the promised land. Maybe this has all still felt a little theoretical for you, but we all have a story that we use to interpret our lives. What's yours? Are most of your dreams about life in Egypt or the promised, or, or the promised land? Do the plagues of this world threaten to undo all you've built? Or do they remind you that you're one step closer to God's deliverance? Do you have God's seal? You receive that by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's his promise to keep you in the storm, to stand with you in the fire, and to keep you from falling until we arrive in the promised land. And your kingdom come becomes your kingdom has come. Turn to him today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy and goodness in giving us a 
a grid, a story to see the events of our world and the circumstances that we find ourselves in. We thank you, Father, that you warn us with trumpets, that before the end, that you announce in advance, that you give us a foretaste of what is to come, and you do so in mercy. Father, we pray that we would hear that message, and we pray for those who, like Rahab, would seek refuge in you, would find refuge in Jesus Christ through faith in his name. Father, we pray that you would give us patience to wait on you, patience to witness for you, and patience to be faithful as the plagues come down and we see the stubbornness of a world that would reject you. May we wait on that great day when Jesus is enthroned and we experience heaven on earth. We wait on you and we look to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I hope this message has helped you to understand the message of the seven trumpets and given you a better story through which to interpret life in the last days. Remember Jericho and Egypt and learn to hear the trumpets and see the plagues that remind us that God is in control and the promised land is inching nearer. If it stirred up questions or you'd like to know more about a relationship with Jesus, send me an email or leave a comment below. If you think this is a message that others need to hear, share the link and help spread the word. As always, for more messages of hope, visit gracebc.ca. God bless and see you next time.